All right, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me once again to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're picking back up in our verse-by-verse series through this very short yet powerful book of the New Testament. And with the exception of last week and maybe one or two more, we've been in 1 John for quite some time. And we said at the outset of this series that we were not going to get in a hurry. We're not going to get in a hurry with this. We're going to try to extract every drop of spiritual nutrition that we can get from the text. And you know, it's funny how God works all these things out, works all these things out because the conversation in Sunday school usually leads into the sermon a lot of times, and it did this morning as, as well. If you came here, if you come to church with the sole focus of, I'm here, when do I get to leave? If you're constantly looking at your watch, if you're constantly looking at the clock, you're here for the wrong reasons. We didn't come here to get out. We came here to get in to the presence of God. And so we're slowing down and we're trying to really squeeze every drop that we can of spiritual nutrition from the text. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means it is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture, every jot, every tittle, every word, every syllable, and period, we want it engrafted into our hearts so that it becomes one with our spirit. And this book that we're studying is very timely. It's timely for the individual Christian, It's timely for where we are as a church, and it's certainly timely for where we are as far as the world around us. And I believe it's timely for where we are in the timeline of God. In fact, we're going to consider what we're going to consider this morning is very, very, very relevant to where we are in this hour. Last week, we considered the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, but the Lord's Day before that, we looked at verses 15 through 17 of 1 John 2, where we talked about the kind of love that God hates. I upload the uh, audio of my sermons to uh, the internet every, every week. That one got a lot of hits. A title like that's very, very catchy, and, and it draws people in. But in that message, we looked at uh, the Lord's warning through the pen of the Apostle John that the child of God is not to love the world nor the things in the world. The true regenerate Christian should have no love for this fallen world system or its enticements. Wes talked about it during Sunday school. It's not wrong to have things. It's wrong for things to have you. I prayed this past Wednesday night during that tremendous prayer service that we had for God to rid us of our love for this world to rid us of our love for comforts. Because I want you to ask yourself this, this question this morning. And I want you to get real honest with yourself. Could you part with your comfortable, cushy, cozy lifestyle? You might be thinking, hey, you know, I have to get up and go to work every day. I, or, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting older and I have these physical ailments, so my life is far from comfortable and cozy. Listen to me. Compared to a large majority of the rest of the world, every one of us here are living high on the hog. And if it pleased God for you to glorify Him by losing all that you have, 
would you do it? We've seen the groundwork laid, right? You can't enter without a mask. You can't enter without proof of vaccination. You can't work without proof of vaccination. You can't come in here and eat. You can't come in here and shop without proof of vaccination. The groundwork is being laid. And what if the fire of persecution gets turned up several notches and you have to make that choice of standing for truth or kowtowing to the culture, kowtowing to uh, 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 the um, world, to the world system and to the agendas of this world system? What if that meant giving up that comfortable lifestyle with that house, those cars, that retirement, that 401k, the things you like to treat yourself to. Because for the true born-again child of God, there's only one answer. Give me Jesus. You can keep the world and all of its treasures. Just give me Jesus. Our Lord Jesus Christ outweighs everything else. And our love for Christ should far outweigh anyone else as well. Our love for our spouses, our love for our children, our family, our friends, it, our love for, for those folks should look like hatred compared to our love for the Lord Jesus. And now we come to this next section, verses 18 through 26, and I want to read that to your hearing this morning. And I want to speak to you about this subject which is probably going to be eye-catching as well. I want to speak to you about Christians and Antichrists. Christians and Antichrists. So look with me. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. These are the words of God. Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know, and that no lie, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the deny but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath also hath the, hath the Son and the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've read and we've heard your holy, inspired word. Lord, some of these things are very difficult for us to understand and process, so we need your help this day. And we ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit, the third part of the Trinity that, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, fill each heart and mind this day. 
so that we could understand your words and not just understand them, but apply them to our lives. All these things we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I told you that this passage would be relevant to our day. The words antichrist and antichrists, plural, evoke a response from people who are familiar with those terms. I mean, even people that don't even identify as Christian are familiar with those terms. People are enamored with anything that deals with the subject of prophecy and the end times. You know, if we were to hang a huge banner outside of the church or if we got us one of them fancy digital uh, signs um, and we were to put on, put on that banner or put on that sign, come and learn about the holiness of God, people would drive right on past it without even turning their head. However, if we were to write on that banner, unlocking the identity of the Antichrist, details inside, we would see an uptick in attendance. Kind of makes me want to give it a shot and just hit them with a red hot gospel message. But that speaks to how the world has an infatuation with last things. People want to know how this thing is going to wind up. Why? Because the future is unknown. And people fear the unknown. And I want to go even further than that because the infatuation that, the, that people have, it speaks to how the world has a very dangerous infatuation with the devil. It is a sad and sobering reality when more people would rather learn about the son of the devil than the son of God. I've said it many times that there is a reason why people are enticed with things of the occult, like tarot cards, fortune tellers, horoscopes, Ouija boards, crystals, magic potions and spells, remote readings, and necromancers. Those are people that communicate with the dead. The reason why people are enamored with those things is because they work. You will get a, a, a response from those things. A person can fast and pray with all earnesty for years about something. And if it's not in accordance with the will of God, God's not going to, bring, going to bring it to pass. But a person can dabble in the things of the occult and things will happen. But I tell you on the authority of Scripture, it will not be what you bargained for. And it will not be something that pleases God. Last week, when we were talking about the, I, I took you to that passage in Proverbs about these six things that God hates, yea, seven are abomination. And I said that God doesn't throw that word abomination around very lightly. You know something else that he calls abominable to him? All that stuff I just listed. Tarot cards, magic, uh, uh, um, all of that stuff. Crystals, fortune tellers, even horoscopes. You think, hey, I'm going to read my horoscope in the newspaper. You better turn the page. Let it alone. It is not of God. And when he calls something abominable, you and I need not have any part with it. And you know, you, we are hearing more and more and more often about celebrities and athletes that are involved in witchcraft and dark arts. It's becoming very, very popular. You know, it used to be only reserved for like heavy metal musicians, right? Ozzy Osbourne, stuff like this. I can remember being in eighth, ninth grade. The Marilyn Manson was really popular. 
He called himself the Antichrist superstar. But now, actresses and actors talk openly about drinking each other's blood like it's a normal activity. Like it's just, you know, and they say we do it for ritualistic purposes. Like it is just normal. And even the renowned quarterback, supposedly the greatest quarterback of modern history, maybe even the greatest of all time, Tom Brady has spoke openly about how his wife practices witchcraft. Let me tell you something. When a person dabbles with that stuff, when a person plays with the Ouija board, they're not communicating with dead human beings. The Bible plainly tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And if your dead relative is in glory with Christ, I hate to disappoint you. And I may upset some of you when I say this. They ain't thinking about you no more. They're in the fullness of joy with the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings. And they are not thinking about things of this earth any longer. And they sure as fire are not doing things for you while they're up there with him. They don't have that kind of power. I hear people say this stuff all the time. Well, my daddy sent me this. My mama is doing this for me. No, they are not. And it is wrong to attribute the power of God to a dead relative, to a dead human relative. I know you may have loved them. I know you may have treasured them and loved them, but all your heart, they are man, not God. And so when someone's fooling with this stuff, they're not communicating with a dead relative. They're communicating with demons. And they're opening up doors to things that they did not bargain for and things that will not go away very easily. Even Michael, one of God's archangels, when he was fighting the devil over the bones of Moses, he didn't talk to the devil. He just said, the Lord rebuke you. So if Michael, the greatest of all the angels, did not talk to the devil, then human beings, and particularly Christians, have no business doing so as well. Satan is the enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has been ever since his fall. And ever since the fall, there has been a supernatural God-opposing evil all throughout the world. And if you study the Bible, you see it from the very beginning. You see it in the garden when Satan was speaking to Eve as the serpent. You see it in the wickedness of mankind before the flood, how every... In Every intent of the thought of man was evil. And then the Tower of Babel. You see it there. You see Satan's affliction of Job. Satan is a defeated foe. His fate has been sealed. But however, until that day, until he, is cast, him, he and his demons are cast into the lake of fire, they continue to seek to wreak havoc, roaming about seeking whom they may devour. If you were to do a word search in your Google machine, you'll find that that word Antichrist only occurs in John's writings. You only see it in his letters. You only see it in his letters and in uh, the book of Revelation. But you see the concept of it all throughout the Bible. You see it in Jan Daniel chapter 7, 9, and 11. You see it in Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 11, 13, 18, and 17. It is a, the, the, the word antichrist is a compound word from the Greek word antichristos. Christos means Christ, anti means against 
or in place of. So the word means anyone who opposes Christ or seeks to overthrow him or falsely represent him. And in this passage, we see that word used two ways, singular and plural. And we'll talk about that as we go through. Our outline this morning is two points. Attributes of Antichrist, attributes of Christians. Look, at, look with me, verses 18, 19, 22, 23, and 26 as we see the attributes of Antichrist. John begins in verse 18, he says, little children... Little children, he's talking to believers here. John was in his 90s, and so everybody was a little child to him, but he's, he's, he's being specific. He's, he, just like he was in verse 13, he's identifying the people that are reading this as belonging to the family of God. And those whom God wanted to warn them of the, that there was impending danger. It was urgent that all of the family of God understand the dangers of false teachers, but it was especially dangerous to those who were less uh, spiritually mature believers. And he says, it is the last time, or it is the last hour, your translation may say. John reminds his readers that it is the last hour, and the last hour refers to this present evil age. In the timeline of God, there's only two ages left. This one, which is the church age, otherwise known as the dispensation of grace. The next one is the future, and that is uh, which will be the millennial reign, the thousand years uh, reign of Christ, which he will, where righteousness will prevail in the word in the world. Isaiah chapter nine verse six, the Christmas verse in Isaiah, where we're told, "For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." And then it says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end, no end. Then Paul continues that thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24. He says, then comes the end when he, being Christ, hands over the kingdom to God and Father. And when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Question, is Jesus reigning now? He better be in your heart if you're a Christian. If you're a believer, you better answer to him. For You are to answer to him first and foremost before you are any governments of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that we, uh, uh, we should be the best, Christians should be the best citizens that any country, any nation has. But before we have any allegiance to any government, any state, or anything, our first and foremost allegiance is to Jesus Christ. So he is, yes, ruling and reigning in a sense now in the hearts and the lives of his people who go forth conquering, building his kingdom with the gospel. But there's going to come a time when he's going to come in his fullest, when he's going to be here in the physical, and he's going to rule and reign forever. So it says, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You know what the last enemy is? Death. The last enemy to be abolished would be death. Death will have a death. And so in this chapter, we need to differentiate between those two terms, Antichrist in the singular and Antichrist in the plural. Since the arrival of the Lord Jesus, the opposition of Satan has been kicked up into high gear. If you study the Bible, you do not see the persecution of the people of God in the intensity that you do as from Jesus onward. Jesus endured three years of relentless hostility. No doubt it was influenced by the devil. His enemies... Finally crucify him. And that same God-hating, Christ-hating, Bible-hating, church-hating, Antichrist spirit 
is still at work to this day. Listen to what it says. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3. It says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. So there, there is a singular Antichrist world leader that is to come, and then there is Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist that is in the world. Let's think about Antichrist, the singular. The first, that's the first term we'll deal with. The people in which John was writing, they were Jewish converts. So they were familiar with the Old Testament writings that foretold about the coming of Messiah. And they also would have known about Antichrist from the same sources. They knew Daniel. They knew the prophecies of Daniel. How Daniel foresaw a human leader, satanically empowered, will come to Jerusalem, enforce his will, exalt himself uh, above er everyone and everything else, above all other uh, religions, and wreak havoc and slaughter. And you can read this in Daniel's chapters 7, 8, 9, and 11. And the final Antichrist will be an imposing, intimidating figure with superior intelligence. He'll be charismatic. He'll be smooth and suave. He'll be a gifted speaker. He will possess advanced military and economic expertise, and he will be the final Gentile world leader. He will be so convincing as an ally and a problem solver that Israel is going to sign a pact with him to be their protector. And then he will turn against the nation and will occupy the throne in the sanctuary of the rebuilt temple and newsflash, they're rebuilding that thing right now. And he will occupy the throne in the temple, which for Israel will symbolize the presence of God. The prophet Zechariah also foresaw the future Antichrist. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 16 and following says, For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who face annihilation, seek the young, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will consume the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hooks. Woe to the worthless shepherd who forsakes the flock. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally dried up and his right eye will be utterly dimmed. At the end of the age, God is going to permit the Antichrist to arise. He's going to allow it. And the Antichrist will, will be the complete opposite of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the good shepherd. This man will be a false shepherd who does not love sheep but slaughters them because he has an insatiable appetite for destruction. His arm in the, in the text of Zechariah represents great strength and his eye represents his intelligence, but he is doomed. God will destroy the Antichrist with his sword of vengeance that falls on him. Let me read to you the words of the Lord Jesus from the, Mount, from the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and following. Well, let me back up and let me read. I want to read verse uh, 3 as well. The disciples, the people, they, they come to Jesus. And in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24, it says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Or the end of the age? That's something that still people are asking 
People are still wondering and hungering for that, for that answer. When is the end coming? When is this thing going to be wrapped up? And you know what bothers me is when it, it, the Lord Jesus tells us what? <laughs> no man knows the day nor the hour when that will happen. But every once in a while, some Yahoo is going to take, take it upon himself to buy him a billboard, to rent him a space on a billboard, and say that he knows when it's going to be. Come to his worship service. And it makes us look ridiculous as Christians. No. No one knows. The Lord in, in, in this passage, and I'll read a little bit from it, is going to give us things to look for. But to the exact day and time, the exact hour when these events are going to happen, we do not and will not know until they take place. So, back to the uh, Olivet Discord. Uh, listen to what it says, beginning in verse 15. It says, When ye shall therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about when, they have, when the Antichrist will go into the temple and set himself up as God. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to, give, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall there be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. After the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, you study church history, there were people all the time that were coming up claiming to be Jesus. And Jesus tells them ahead of time, don't believe it. Don't trust in it a bit. There have been people in Recent history, and I'm talking recent as back as the 70s, cult leaders that attempt to portray themselves as Jesus Christ. You think of somebody like Charles Manson. Charles Manson can, can uh, convince the people that were with him that he was Jesus Christ. The same with, um, what was that fellow in Jonestown? Same, same thing. Convince them that they are this, they are a, 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 a type of Christ, if not Jesus in the flesh. Jesus says, do not believe it. Verse 24, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and show great signs and wonders. Just like Jannies and Jambres in the story of Moses had the capability to take their staff and throw it down and it become a snake, just like Moses' did. The Antichrist and those who are so far given over to the devil, the devil gives them the capability to do lying wonders too, false miracles, things that, 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 that appear to be miraculous, but they're done of wickedness. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive even the very elect. It's going to be a delusion that is so strong, so strong, that it's going to pull some people away from the faith that you scratch your head and be like, how in the world? I never, ever, ever would have thought that person would walk away. That's what we're talking about. And the Apostle Paul 
continues it is continues that thought as well when he wrote to his uh, when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Second Thessalonians chapter two. The reason why Paul wrote Second Thessalonians, uh, reason why he wrote Second Thessalonians is because he was assuring the reason, the readers there at the church at Thessalonica that the rapture of the church and the return of the Lord had not taken place yet. Right? So listen to this. It says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ is at hand. Now listen to this. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Personally, and you take this with a grain of salt, we're seeing that right now. We're seeing that right now. There is a such thing as an apostasy, but there's also this great apostasy, this time of apostasy, where people are leaving the faith and that's what we're seeing now. So this day shall not come except there be a falling away first. One, that's the first. Then, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he that, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself to be, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not when I was uh, yet with you and I told you these sayings. And now ye know that, uh, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in this time. Now listen to this. For the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of lawlessness doth, uh, is already at work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. You study the Bible and you see this he that is referred to it in the church. The church is always referred to as the bride of Christ. This he is the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, as, as awful as things are, as wicked as things are in the world, as we are continuing to just see, the, the because we're so connected and there's cameras everywhere and people film everything instead of stepping in and doing the right thing, they film wickedness. We're seeing wickedness and violence all the time. But as wicked and as vile as it is, it could be much, much worse. And the only thing, the only one who is restraining this, restraining this world from being hell on earth is the Holy Spirit of God who is actively restraining evil from being at its fullest. But there's going to come a time when he's going to leave. And what's he going to do when he leaves? He's taking us with him. In the twinkling of an eye, at the, at the sound of the trumpet, for the Lord Himself said, uh, "Descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of, voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with Him in the air." And then, when that happens, it's going to be more awful. It's going to be more wretched down here than you could ever ever imagine. You think about Charles Manson's. You think about Adolf Hitler. You think about Emperor Nero. They won't be the anomaly. They'll be the norm. Let's keep reading. 
And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers, signs, and lying wonders. So there again, the false miracles. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. There are some people that just with everything that they have would rather cling to that lie. They would rather cling to that lie, cling to their love for sin, than repent and receive the grace and the love of the Lord. So what happens? A person goes on and goes on. And they, 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 they're in the presence of a gospel command. They hear the gospel, but yet they just keep on and they just keep on and they keep on. And then finally, the Lord gets to a point, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Fine. Go ahead. You want to resist the truth? You don't want to repent? You don't want to uh, receive the forgiveness that I offer to you? Fine. Go ahead. Do what you want. Enjoy it. Live it up. Closest thing to heaven you're going to get. And it said that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's the lost and dying world out there. My goodness, they just parade their love for sin up and down the streets in every business, on every television show. They just parade their love for sin. And they're going to pay for it too if they don't repent. So Paul, in his letter, was said that, that, that the return of the Lord would not take place except their first, the, except first there's the rapture, and even before the rapture, a great falling away. That's the apostasy. That's the apostasy. All right, we'll get to that in a minute, and let's think about the, the plural term, the term antichrist with an S. Think about that term for a minute. Look what it says in verse, uh, uh, verse 19. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Antichrist, with the plural, who infiltrate the church. Does Satan send people into the church to disrupt and tear stuff up? You better believe he does. You better believe he does. Antichrist who infiltrate the church and mingle among true believers attempting to destroy by spreading lies and deceptions. They're easy to identify. And they will possess at least one, if not more, of these three traits. First, they depart from the fellowship. They come in, they tear up Jack, and they leave. They come in, they interject their false teachings, they interject their lies, and then they take off. But they leave a path of destruction behind them. And usually, more often than not, they take weak-minded folks with them. And then that leaves the ones that remain. Should we have left too? Did the folks that leave, did, did, did they have the truth and we don't? Did they, did they possess the truth and we don't? And then that's why John writes what he does in verse 19. They went out from us because they were not of us. This is the apostasy or the falling away from the faith. I told you a couple of weeks ago that there is this popular phrase that's being floated around in the media now, and it's called Christian deconstruction. It means to deconstruct or tear down or deny once previous held Christian beliefs. 
It means someone goes from being, and I use quotations, a professing Christian to now being a professing atheist. Or it also may mean that the person may still, and I use quotations again, they may profess Christianity, but they no, they no longer hold to the biblical doctrines that make one a true Christian. We can disagree on some stuff. We've got Presbyterians that are, you know, that are our brothers also. We'll disagree with them on some things, like baptism. We're not going to baptize a, a, a baby. Baptize a person upon their confession, right? But they're still our brothers. We can disagree on last things, on end time stuff. But on the true doctrines, the essential doctrines of the faith, all of us have to be in line with the Bible. And so now there are these people, these antichrists, plural, with that antichrist spirit that are deconstructing supposedly the Christian faith, saying that they, they're still a Christian. But you know what? I've kind of evolved in how I think. I no longer believe the way that I used to. And I'll give you an example. Katy Perry. Very popular, very beautiful, very, very talented young lady. Was raised in a Christian home just as lost as yesterday's Easter egg. Full of the world, full of the riches of the world, and she has renounced every single bit of the Christian faith that she was raised in. I'm going to give you another one. Beth Moore. Beth Moore was the darling of the Southern Baptist Convention for many years. She sold many books, many Bibles, uh, women's Bible studies. But in 2019, she recanted. She changed what she believed with regards to sexuality and marriage. Beth Moore no longer holds to the biblical view of marriage as one man and one woman. That's apostasy. That's leaving the faith. Amy Grant is another. Amy Grant is the wife of Vince Gill. She's made a lot of money singing Christian music. Same thing. She does not affirm what God says about true marriage. Then there's also apostate denominations. Episcopals. PCUSA, Presbyterian Church, United States of America. The United Methodist Church. The United Church of Christ and many others. All of those do not hold to, as a whole... As a whole, there are still some in, that, in those denominations that are still holding fast to the faith. They need to get out. They need to come out of it. They need to come out from among them and be separate. But all of those denominations, if you look at what they believe, do not hold to true biblical principles on sexuality and marriage. And they promote abortion as a good thing. And many churches in those denominations are embracing this drag queen craze. And you know something? Any church that promotes homosexual marriage, that says that abortion is a good thing that needs to be protected, that would allow a drag queen to come into the church, into the worship service, that's no longer a church. That's a synagogue of Satan. And you want to know where they went wrong? You want to know where they began to go wrong? When they began ordaining women as pastors. Because if you were wrong in one area, if you're going to disregard Scripture in one area, you're going to do it in other places as well. I love our dear ladies, but God does not call women to preach. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a cuss word. God has created men and women to just to have different roles. And there's beauty in each role. 
It's men that are meant to go fight the dragons. Women are not called to do that. They're not called to be on the front lines fighting the battles. That's the man's role. And it's to the shame of the men when the women have to step up. But that's for another time. And you know what's, you know what, you know what's, what's sad? With all those denominations that I just listed, the SBC's right on their heels. Southern Baptist Convention is right on their heels. Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life, pastor of Saddleback Church in Orange County, California, created a big stir last year when he ordained a bunch of women as pastors in his church. And that was to, to, to be one of the topics of the, S, the, the annual meeting this year in the SBC. Should his church be disfellowshipped? I don't think it happened. He's also, and, and, and then there's an, another church, First Baptist Church of Orlando, First Baptist Church of Orlando, Florida, baptizes professing homosexuals and allows them to serve in the church. And the same with people, with, with heterosexual people that are living together and not married. Baptize them and allow them to serve in the church. That church should be disfellowshipped by the rest of the, by the, rest of the convention. But it doesn't happen. That rot, that, that antichrist spirit has seeped in even to our convention with its critical race theory and all of that other foolishness and weak, and every week, good Bible-believing church after good Bible-believing church leaves the convention. So we're watching the apostasy take place. There's a popular uh, mainline, there, you know, and, and you think about this. There's the popular mainline unbiblical Christianity with its big budgets and its, 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 uh, man-centered music that celebrates and, and, and embraces everything. But then there's the true remnant of the body of Christ. And she gets told that she's hateful, unloving, and unkind. And that she's the one who's being unchristlike. That's the spirit of Antichrist. So this raises the question, for those people who were renouncing their faith or changing the things about their faith, did they lose their salvation? John answers that question with a great big no. No, they went out from us because they never were of us. They were never saved to begin with. The Lord Jesus Christ, and listen to me when I say this. I've said it many a times in the four years since I've been here, and I'll say it until I leave this pulpit. The Lord Jesus does not fail. He does not lose any of his children. A person cannot be a child of hell one moment, then come under conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, receive Christ as, their sa as the Savior of their soul, have their name written in the Lamb's book of life, and then later on down the road, the Lord gets so frustrated with, uh, how, with the sin that they're in that he reneges on the deal. That does not happen. God Almighty would have to develop amnesia in order to tell people on that great judgment day that he never knew them. Because if salvation could be lost, he had to know them at some point in time. I want to give you some encouraging verses. I want to give you some encouraging verses that it would benefit you to commit to your memory. Some I, I quote very often, but I want to start talking about 
with dealing with our salvation, I want to work from the inside out and see how it's something. It is a complete and total work and gift of God. Ephesians 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed until the, until the day of redemption. How are you going to remove someone or something you didn't put on there to begin with? Grieve not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that comes to dwell and sets up residence with inside of every true born-again child of God. He doesn't ever get evicted. There's no running him out. And then John chapter 10, beginning in verse 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. And listen to this. No one shall ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So the believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit inside of the hand of the Lord Jesus and that hand is inside of God. There is a triune securing of the child of God. And a true believer, because I have to address this every time I bring up the eternal security of the believer, that salvation is not something that can be lost. I have to bring this up. A true Christian will not continue in the sinful lifestyle that the Lord saved them out of. There's, hey, I got my ticket punched, so now I can just live however I want to. I can live like a devil, and I've got my cake, and I can eat it too. No. If that's the mindset of some person, they are not born again. I'll be bold enough to say that. We stumble, we war with sin, and we do sin. We're still walking around in these fleshly bodies and we're in the process of being sanctified. We're still being worked on. So that person that says, well, hey, do whatever I want. No, you can't. And that's not the mindset of a true Child of God. And what happens when the child of God gets out of line? What happens when we sin and we sin long enough? How does the Lord deal with us? He chastens us. Better than our earthly father did. He'll wear us out. And what does that look like in your life? I don't know. I know what it's been in mine. It may be unanswered prayer. It may just be spiritual unrest. You can't get a night's sleep because the, the Holy Spirit is just hounding your conscience, working you over about how you need to get something out of your life and how you need to make things right. It could be that you have to suffer the sinful consequences of the decisions that you've made. It might be You might have to suffer the embarrassment that those decisions bring. But as we will see when we get to chapter 5, that if a believer continues in that sin long enough, we talked about it last week, the Lord may see fit to, all right, you're coming home early. But you know what? That speaks to the great mercy of God. That speaks to just how merciful the Lord is, but it also speaks to the fact that we shouldn't want to meet the Lord that way. When you think about the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, is what it's called. That's the judgment for us, the believers. Heaven and hell has already been determined. It's heaven everlasting is indeed our reward. And so that judgment is going to uh, determine how we're going to serve the Lord in eternity. But it says there that some shall suffer loss. Some will suffer loss. Well, what does that entail? I don't know and I don't want to find out. I don't want to know and I don't want to find I don't want to suffer anything. In front of my king. 
I want to hear well done. I want to hear come on in. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge over many things. That should be the desire. That should be the desire. So clean out those spiritual closets. I bring that, I brought that up several times. Clean out those spiritual closets. Confess that hidden sin. Repent of it. And move on and follow the Lord in love and obedience. And also, a true believer does not walk away from the faith. Peter said it himself, Lord, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Only you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? You may, they were afraid and they left because they feared getting killed. But the Lord brought them back. He brought them back. Jesse and I were in a Sunday school class one time at a church we were attending when we first got married. And the Sunday school teacher made the statement, something to the effect that salvation could either be lost or a person could forfeit it by walking away. First time he said it, I let it go. I didn't say nothing. A few weeks passed and he said it again. Well, the second time I didn't let it go. And I was just a baby Christian at the time. I, I still don't know everything that I ought to know now, but I didn't know hardly nothing then. And I was just full of zeal for the Lord, ready to storm hell with a water pistol. And we went back and forth that day and for the rest of the, for the, rest of the Sunday school class and ended up meeting later on and, 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 and going over scriptures. And, 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 and I finally got to the, to the point. I was like, okay, so what must a person do? He said, hold on. You got to hold on. How do I know how, how, that I'm holding on enough? How, how would you ever know? What that false teaching does is it shackles people with doubt. It pulls them into legalism. And as I've said many times, the Bible teaches that the precious, that precious gift of salvation that the Lord Jesus purchased with his broken body, with his shed blood, with his death is not something that can be lost, forfeited, bought, sold, duplicated, or copied. And to say that it could be lost, really what the person is saying is what Jesus did wasn't enough. They're saying what Jesus did wasn't enough. And you know what? That's wrong because he did enough. He perfectly satisfied the wrath of God for all the guilty sinners that will find their place in heaven. And right before Jesus gave up the ghost, he said it is finished. And his resurrection from the dead proves that it was indeed finished. So, Antichrist will, that Antichrist spirit, the people who are Antichrist in the plural, they will depart from the faith. The second thing they're going to do is they're going to deny the faith. We talked about that. That's that atheistic spirit that's in the world that says that we're nothing but cosmic dust. We're just bags of dust. We're just bags of dust. We're just chem our, our brains are just chemical fizz. We're here one day. We're gone the next. There's no a ram of reason to any of this so get, while you're here get all you can however you can with however you can with whoever you can just just live it up because this is it you got one shot and you know that's the worldview that our young people are being fed from elementary school to college in the public school system young people are taught that antichrist worldview some people will say well no that, that's that's not true schools are neutral don't, don't buy into that. No, they, teach, they don't teach one way or the other. No, don't buy into that. Their neutrality is a myth. Neutrality is a myth. Jesus said it himself, Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. So to not teach that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to just leave it out to try to just keep this sense of neutrality is scattering abroad. Young people are being taught to be against the Lord that way. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And John dealt with the Gnostics in his day. We are dealing with the secularists. So the second aspect of denying the faith is not, it, it may not be outright rejection. It just may be as the, the Beth Moore, uh, just denying certain aspects of the faith. But we've talked about that before. All that does, all that Antichrist does, all that Antichrist spirit does is just poison people and lead people astray and make myriads comfortable on their way to hell. And the third Antichrist trait is they try to confuse the faithful. They try to confuse the faithful. Look what it says in verse 26. It says, These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So John is saying, I write these things to you in this section so that you don't fall into the deceptions of those false teachings that are roaming around in that place. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, that God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. And all the churches of the saints, God does not give confusion. There may be some aspects of His Word, of His nature, of biblical doctrine that may be difficult to grasp and need to be explained, but that's why God gave some pastors, some teachers in the churches. It's the devil who sends his false teachers and people into churches and to appear as Christian to confuse and to disrupt. But they cannot disrupt or take away the faith of the true born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And that's why John is writing this. Point number two, and I'll move quickly through this. Verses 20, 21, 24, 25, and 27, we see the attributes of Christians. Christians accept the faith. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, but you have an unction or an anointing, as it says in other translations, from the Holy Spirit, and you know all things. You know all things. The, 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 the Gnostics were real big on this self-revelation that God was speaking directly to them. And you know, you still hear that to this day. You hear that a lot. You hear a lot of people that say, well, the Lord showed me this. The Lord told me that. But it's never anything from the Word. And it boggles my mind that God just goes around and He speaks to people. He's talking to them. They're having this ongoing audible conversation, but there's never any Scripture. Now, I'm hoping that a lot of that is just spiritual immaturity. But uh, it could could be a very dangerous just antichrist spirit. Will God use things in the world to speak to us? Yeah, but guess what? There's going to be some scripture somewhere. It's going to back it up. It always, always, always comes back to the scripture. And John says, for you know all things there in the text. He doesn't mean that they have unlimited knowledge of God. They've got the Holy Spirit indwelling them that lets them know when they hear something that's true and when they hear something that's not. When they hear something that's true, it the Holy Spirit lets them know. When they hear something that is false, the Holy Spirit lets them know that as well. Christians also remain faithful. Christians Christians, uh, accept the faith, and Christians remain faithful. Look what it says. Look what it says in uh, verse 24. Let therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. John knew that these sheep could never lose their salvation, so he exhorted, he encourages them to persevere, to remain faithful, to continue in the faith. 
to continue in the faith that he that he established them in to let that truth abide in them which they have heard from the beginning so we as believers are actively commanded to persevere in the truth because that's how we're sanctified Faith of the Lord Jesus is how we're justified. Perseverance is how we're sanctified or set apart, how we're conformed more into the image of Christ. And take note of that word abide. It means to remain, continual action of remaining. Those who continue in, that, in what they've heard, those who continue in what they have heard show that what they have heard from the beginning abides in them. So they continue in what they've heard means that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within them. And I want to say this, with regard to Christian perseverance or the perseverance of the saints, as it's sometimes called, we're commanded to persevere, just like we were commanded to repent and believe the gospel. But we know that when a person does repent and believes, believes the gospel, it's a work of God. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. That means the very faith that you and I have to believe in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our soul is a gift of God. It is all a work and a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to be standing around the throne of God saying, man, I held on longer. I believed longer. I believed better. No, we're going to surround the throne and say glory to the Lamb. The same thing applies to perseverance. We're commanded to persevere, but when you get down to it, it's the Lord working in us that gives us the capability to persevere. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, the Apostle Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even all the more than them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. He continues that thought and Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 for I'm confident of this very thing that he who's he Christ the triune God the Holy Spirit who began a good work and you will perfect it he will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus and probably my favorite of all of those that talks about how we're secured how the Lord has us is first Peter chapter 1 verse 3 blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away that is reserved in heaven for you who are kept kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. All Christians can have comfort, lasting comfort in those words. So when you are faced with temptation that it would make it seem easier to just go along with the world, that it may be either you've got to stand for biblical truth or you've got to lose those cozy comforts and you're tempted with the thoughts, it's like, you know what? If I just say it but if I, and, and don't mean it, I can have the best of both worlds. And denying the Lord would just be so easy. It would be so quick. It'll make the pain go away. It'll make the heat turn back on. It'll make the air turn back on. It'll make food show up in the refrigerator. It'll just make it so easy. Remember that you can keep on, keeping on, standing firm for truth because the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells inside of you. Let's pray. Father and our God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege to read Your Word. We thank you for the difficult passages, for we need, it shows us that we need you all the more to help understand it. 
Father, we know that we're living in days, dark days, where there's an antichrist spirit out in the world. They hate you. They hate your word. They hate the church. But God, we're called to go out into that world and give them the good news of the gospel because we just might be the people that you use 